Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This will be episode 16. I'm your host, Brett, and with me as always is my most favorite person in the world, and also our dog's most favorite person in the world, Crystal. How have you been this week, Crystal? I don't know if that's true. Coffee's been like loving up on you lately, which is weird. Yeah, she's a, a big fan of me, apparently. Uh, it turns out I'm the more important person in her life. And Probably because you feed them most of the time. I do. I feed them, and that's a very important aspect of their existence. And uh, <laughs> I think they realize that, and they just want to love on me all the time. So, good times. So, you can find us online if you want to go to www.scarysavannahandbeyond.com or www.scarysavannah.net. We are on social media as well. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. The other ones you can find us if you look for the username at Scary Savannah. On YouTube, go to our website. There's a link for it. Click through there. And uh, I think we're up to 26 or so subscribers at this point. When we finally get to 100. Yeah, we need to get to 100. We Help get to make 100. That happen. We'll be able to name the page. And then I'll name it something completely weird. <laughs> It'll be like Savannah. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Dot com. That way, maybe we'll get mixed up with a tour group or something and uh, draw in some new business. Yeah. So that's thinking outside the box. It is. And I pretty much am that kind of person. I'm an idea man. You are. I don't execute, but I do come up with ideas. So also would like to ask you to visit our Patreon page to support the podcast. You can go to patreon.com forward slash scary Savannah. Crazy enough. And you can support us for as little as $3 a week or if you, you mean a month, <laughs> a month, they could do a week. Yeah. They could do a week if you want, but $3 a month and you'll, at, at higher tiers, you'll get stuff like shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, and our undying gratitude, <laughs> which is priceless. So you can also give us a call if you'd like to give us a call and share with us updates because we do have some updates on some previous stories that people have shared with us here. One way you can get to us is, and I know the numbers are going to be down here this time because it did it last time. It's 912 912- Four zero six two eight nine nine. Oh, that, you memorized it this time. That number is 912-406-2899. I'm if, impressed. I, I am too. If you call in on that number, then you will be able to leave a voicemail or you can text that number too, apparently. Because when you call in, it goes right to voicemail. Leave us a message. If you ask us to, we can play it on the air. And if not, then we won't. But we would appreciate any feedback. You can give us story ideas. You can uh, give us updates if we mess something up on a story, which we haven't really messed anything up, I don't think, but we've been given more information that helps elaborate on what we have talked about, right? Yeah, we get a lot of new information all the time. Yeah, we do. And so before we start this episode, uh, we do have a couple of updates from previous stories. And the first one I'm going to talk about was from the story last uh, week for 432 Abercorn. Uh, one of our amazing listeners, Tammy Jones. Thanks, Tammy. Thanks, Tammy. Did some research on the house that is only known as 432 Abercorn. We had mentioned that the current owners are a little shrouded in mystery. One theory that had been put forth was that it might be owned by the girl that survived that supposed multiple homicide from the 1950s. Well, Tammy put this rumor to rest and found out that the house is actually owned by an attorney and his wife, 
and was purchased for $1.2 million. Sounds low to me. It probably is, but... I bet it's worth a lot more than that now that they've renovated it. Probably run a ghost off, too. Yeah. Well, that detracts from the value, then. <laughs> it does, I guess. Um, I want to keep the ghost. Yeah. Thanks for helping us out, Tammy. We do appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Uh, also going to have another update on the Forsyth Park Inn. Yeah, we spent Valentine's Day there. Yeah, we did on a previous episode. If you recall, we interviewed our friend Scott Siegel, and he is currently employed by the Forsyth Park Inn. And we went there and met with him. Highly recommend. Yeah, it, it's a it's a beautiful place, and it's right beside Forsyth Park. It's the name, and it's just a amazing to look at. So I have to say, I was really impressed with this place. Every inn we've stayed at in Savannah has been amazing, right? Yes, I would stay at all of them again. Yeah, <laughs> but something about this one really sort of s- struck me, and I, uh, I think it might have been the humongous doors yeah, this place like had. Yeah, they were thirteen feet doors or yeah, something. Yeah, they were so tall. I don't I think, think it I, was thirteen foot ceilings and ten foot doors or something like that. It sort of made me feel like we were in some kind of palace or something because yeah, it was, was just crazy. so amazing to see the monstrosity of doors that were in there and the yeah, ceilings were the doors towering needed to be up. that big i mean like people were smaller back then i right? don't know <laughs> you know renee rondalia was like what eight feet tall at 12 least, feet tall i don't know i don't know if he stayed there maybe he worked there i think he died as a child so i doubt that he worked there but he was eight feet tall and i know they put kids to work at an early time back then <laughs> i mean come on you know it so the staircase in the lobby was pretty amazing, too. It was extremely creaky, and we were really hoping that we were going to hear some footsteps in the middle of the night. But the only footsteps we heard in the middle of the night were, were hours, were hours <laughs> yeah. as we uh, went up the stairs to go to our room. Um, it was truly beautiful. Uh, we met Scott there when we got there, like I said, you know, because he works there, and uh, he was the one that checked us in. And he showed us something interesting when we come into the lobby, and it's something they call the ghost box. And what it is, is a wooden chest that's about this big or so, you yeah. know, and, and, and it looks like it would be in a movie. It's very ornate, carved, old wooden box. And inside that box, you will find letters that former guests of the hotel had written about their experiences staying at the Forsyth Park Inn. And the interesting thing about it is, is that these letters weren't, aren't just put into that box. They found these letters under the tiles of a fireplace. And I think it was in room eight, the one where they said that you can smell the cherry tobacco smoke on the second floor. Yeah, right? the, one of the tiles was loose and they were sticking letters under there. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, Crystal did take some pictures and we will try to get those on the website so you can see what it looks like. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really pretty. Uh, yeah. And uh, we'll get those up so you can check them out. We also talked to one of his associates there, whose name was Dwayne. And he recently had an experience that we touched on. We talked about another update previously, but I actually got his firsthand account. So I'm going to play a clip for you right now, and you can hear from him what he experienced. I told you about the new thing with that Dwayne got scared of the shadow. Yeah. In the yeah. He, yeah. He got me out. He yeah. Got yeah. So what? Uh, what exactly happened to you on that one? Here from the park. I was sitting there. I was sitting there on the little stoop right here, um, outside of our kitchen door, so I had my cigarette. And so 
was sitting there and I was talking to the folks who were in the kitchen. One lady, she was standing on the side on the side of the table and looking out towards me. And we both, clear as day, saw a shadow approaching the front, approaching the gate entrance. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I said, so I got up and I said, like, I have the presence of somebody. I sense the presence of somebody. And I went and looked and there was nobody there. Oh, good. I mean, nobody in the pathway. So I walked out to the sidewalk and there was nobody on the sidewalk. And she was like, what was that? I'm like, there was nobody there. And she was like, are you kidding me? We both saw the shadow. I saw yeah. the shadow too that you were talking about. Nobody there. It's like, okay, that's it. <laughs> Go back upstairs. <laughs> Is that the only thing that you've seen or? or oh, no, I heard some um, footsteps in the attic when nobody was up in the attic. Um, I'm taking the attic. Oh, uh, let's see. I've had a lot of reports of guests coming out of this room saying that their feet were tickled while they were in bed. Yeah. And I've been here for years and I've heard that story probably about 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. Just different people. Hey, my feet were tickled in there. And like, Is something going on in that room? I was like, why? Did your feet get tickled at night? <laughs> <laughs> room three down the hall, that's the one where people always say they feel someone sitting on the bed with them. Yeah. Um, room the seven, room seven, that's the one where your tub fills up with water and your lights will, you can turn all your lights off when you go out, you'll come back in and all your lights will be on. Yeah. That's, that's the room we're in. So. so that was pretty interesting, right? Yeah, there were some interesting people working there. Yeah, there were <laughs> there were quite a few interesting people that we met. And, you know, he talks about seeing the shadow, basically what I'm assuming is a shadow person. And Savannah has shadow people, apparently. You know, you'll hear that from all the tour guides, uh, even the tour we were on, which I will talk, tell you about in just a minute. Unfortunately, we didn't see or hear anything ourselves, did yeah. we? Yeah. I wish we had seen something like that, but honestly, the scariest thing that we saw on this trip was we were sitting in our car <laughs> right in front of the inn before we went in, and there was a dude on a bicycle who flew by. He had a fifth of Crown Royal in his hand, <laughs> and he pointed at some people doing construction on a house across the street and started screaming about the police. I yeah, don't that was frightening. It was terrifying, and he rode by. Now, this is not a normal occurrence, and I'm not trying to say that the Forsyth Park Inn is in a bad place because no. it's not. It's just anywhere you go in Savannah because the park's right across the street there. There's, you know, all kinds of people make the world go round, and this one decided to ride Drive by street. <laughs> when we were there. Yeah. So, not a big deal. But I will say this. Uh, we did have our first possible brush with Paranormal there as I took our H6 zoom field recorder with us which is how i record our evps typically and it's a very nice uh pro grade-ish field recorder and i checked it before we came because i always check my stuff had plenty of battery well i used it to record Dwayne, and then after his interview scott was going to walk us through and get some more audio and then it just died it just died right in my hand it had probably 75 percent battery life in it when this happened and they were just gone. So apparently Lottie did not want to be yeah, recorded. She did not want us to talk about her at all. So um, I had checked it the night before, just like I checked all the gear. I know that it was good. So I did have to switch to my iPhone after that to do recordings because we were still there. And Scott was nice enough to take us on a tour around the house. He showed us the rooms and was nice enough to even take us up into the attic, right? And that was creepy. Yeah. And of course, 
as all good terrifying houses have, the first thing you see when you walk upstairs and turn left is a rocking horse sitting of in the course. corner, right? Yes, just, I've got pictures. Just innocently There's- sitting there, daring you to be <laughs> alone at night in the room with the rocking horse. But wait, there's more. So we walked over to the other side of the attic and you had to duck under their piping and everything to get there. We saw the ceiling. There was a burns. It looks like it was charred, like it had been in a fire. It wasn't just discolored. It was like uh, charcoal almost on on the beams. Yeah, and it was a very small area, so it was weird. Yeah, I took some pictures of that, and we'll try to hopefully have those on the website as well. And uh, No creepy attic is complete without a doll. Yes, and I think I stepped on it. <laughs> uh, so we're probably cursed, but there was a creepy doll laying in the floor with a skeleton face. I don't know if maybe I imagined that or if it literally was. No, it was there. I took a picture. Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely disturbing. And then they, Crystal and Scott, walked back down the stairs. And I'm still up there taking pictures and they turn the lights off on me. <laughs> And he said, we're going to leave you up here, Brett. And <laughs> I was like, me. well, I guess we're done. <laughs> this is it for me. We're finished. I'm going back to just playing music because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to survive this. So after that, we went back downstairs. We went in front of several rooms, got some audio on those. And then he took us downstairs, which is where room 10 is, which is where Lottie supposedly stayed. And later on in that night, we went through, did some EVPs. Uh, I wasn't able to get anything from that room. But then we left that room and walked back towards the laundry room and the sprinkler room. And uh, when we went in the sprinkler room, it's basically the set where they filmed the movies Saul and I've Saul I've never two, seen those movies and neither have you. And Saul 3. Have you ever seen those movies? And Saul 4 and Saul 5.2, <laughs> The Reckoning, We Begin Again. No, I haven't seen the I know movies, you haven't. Crystal, but I've seen enough. I've seen the videos. I've seen scenes from I it. I have never seen it's anything from it. terrible and disturbing, and you probably would love it, you know, because <laughs> whereas my sense of humor is messed up, her sense of murder is sort, of, up. sort of crazy and terrifying, you know. Hey, you like forensic files, too. Don't ask. It's just, just because I'm like a... It plays 24-7 at our house. Forced to watch it. Now, you I, said you liked it. I liked it the first... Two or three times I saw each episode, but then I watch you it. You haven't was, seen all the episodes and, and it, new ones are coming out. And then it comes on and I look at it and I, well, I tell you what, this is where Jethro went and he totally killed the people there. But for some reason, he bought trash bags at CVS down near his house. <laughs> you know they can track that stuff. And then this other guy sawed up his shoe with a bandsaw oh, yeah. and hid pieces of his shoe in the house. I'm like, there's no way they'll ever figure this. Well, they like, figured well, it why out. Why didn't they just burn the shoes? I don't, I don't know. know. Or throw it in the trash. I don't know. Or you something. throw it in your neighbor's trash. Yeah. But back to the Forsyth Park Inn, uh, we were walking down the hallway. We came out of the Saw movie set, and uh, across the hall from there is the laundry room. And there were a few employees working there, and one of them was a nice lady named Cynthia. And Scott introduced us to her, and she has had experiences with Lottie, right? Yeah. And she was actually uh, physically uh, accosted by Lottie. So I'm going to play you a short interview clip that we had with her, and I'm going to do that for you right now. Oh, yeah. She just pushed me down. Oh, yeah. Right there in front of room one. I was just, you know, I was getting my ice, and I had, you know, like my bags and everything, yeah. getting ready to walk out the front door. And I was just walking home, and all of a sudden I just went ice. Oh, my everywhere. goodness. 
And it was nobody there, no rug or nothing. I just went. It was like she just stuck her foot out and said, I just. So did you feel something actually push you down? I just went. All I know, I just went. I just went everywhere. And everybody in the lobby said, you okay? (laughs) I said, it's just a ghost. Y'all have a nice time staying here. And nobody, you know. She's big. She's very active. Tell them what else you've, like, you've heard. Yeah, Yeah, we have stuff in the kitchen. We see the door. You know, in the kitchen, opens and closes. Okay. And she, well, her room was... Right down on the end? Room 10, 10, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's her room, and people, they had, um, you know, the ghost people here, and she told the owners, the new owners, to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he did a a thing, you know, had the people come in here and put the camera and... Just say the sounds or whatever y'all want to call it. And she had the toys floating. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really? And she told him to get out. Oh, wow. Well, I guess they didn't listen. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know, because when I first started working here, I would notice that John didn't come around that often. Or if he did, he would, like, come in and come out. <laughs> and he didn't stick around. And then everybody was like, oh, that's why, because Lottie told, told him to him get, get out. out. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, goodness. Well, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, she told him to get out. That's a king, isn't it? No, that's a queen. Yeah. Any, any other things have happened to you oh. since you've been here? Well, I was cleaning rooms what is it six and some people was you know coming in and they the old ladies that just came in and they packed they unpacked their stuff and they went out but when they came back all their stuff was packed right back all their stuff everything they put out was back in their suitcase and then they say huh I said, I said it's just to go <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy yeah Alright, well thank, thank you so much you. for talking to us. Yeah. We appreciate it. What was your name again? I'm Cynthia. Cynthia, I'm Brett. That's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Alright, it's good to meet you. At this point, we went for a walk to the local Kroger to pick up some replacement AA batteries so that we could use the H6 to attempt some EVP recordings during the night. Right? That was a Nice little jaunt across the way. Yeah, we walked through the park, got we, some coffee. Yeah, we walked right got some past batteries. where Johnny Mercer lived as a child. Oh, yeah. That was a I got pretty a picture cool, of that. Yeah, I got a pretty, uh, pretty cool place to be. Johnny Mercer wrote a bunch of songs you've heard of if you've ever watched a Warner Brothers cartoon from the real days. I found out he wrote Hooray for Hollywood. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, you do. Why don't you sing us a bar? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not going to sing. Well, after that, we went to have a nice dinner at Churchill's and then on we on the roof in the cold. Yeah, in the cold. You know, your choice, not mine. She said that there were heaters at nearly every table. And when we got up there, there were literally three heaters on the opposite side, side of the two place. Tables. We, yeah. They were all on the other side of the building from where we were. Yeah. So now. I think they pulled those light uh those heaters over to those tables and they left us out in the cold. They but that's, did. That's okay. It wasn't that cold. It wasn't cold. that cold. Yeah, we had jackets on and the building blocked the wind. Yeah, it was fine. Uh then after that we went on an amazing ghost tour that lasted until about midnight. Yeah, I think this was our best tour in a long time. The guy was really knowledgeable. Yeah, Greg was great. Mm-hmm. Uh when we got back to the inn, we got our video camera out and the H six. And walked around the inn and the courtyard attempting EVP recordings. I didn't get any hits anywhere, unfortunately, until we made it back to the front door of our room, which we stayed in room seven, which is directly across from the landing of the staircase that goes down into the lobby. And I started asking some questions there. I've been asking questions the whole way. 
And it sounds like I got one response and I'm going to play it for you now. I'm going to loop it a few times, see if you can figure out what this voice is saying. We're now at the top of the stairs above the lobby area, as well as by our room, number seven. Is there anyone here? So I have no idea what the voice said. Me either. But it sounded similar to the recordings I've heard where we think we've captured EVPs. Maybe one of our listeners can make it out. I don't know. Uh, Let us know if you do. That number is on the bottom of the screen right now. (laughs) If I did my magic right, who knows? But give us a call. Give us a voicemail. Maybe you know what it's saying. Uh, It's probably telling us to go away. Um, Wouldn't be the first time I've been told that. And then the next update we've got for you is for Nine Drayton. So after we ate our dinner at Churchill's, we had some time to kill, right? Yeah, and it was really cold, so we decided to stop in the Fitzroy. Yeah, the Fitzroy, also known from our last episode as Nine Drayton Street. At first, I was excited because like looking through the window, the bar did look white, and I thought, well, maybe that's the alabaster we were talking about, but... Once we went inside, all of my dreams were dashed. I know that you're a big fan of alabaster. I am. It's beautiful. You love it so much. I do. And so we thought we'd go see it. So we sat at the bar and asked our bartender if he had any experiences with the paranormal. And he said he didn't. And we were a little let down. Not just from the fact that he had no paranormal experiences at the Fitzroy, but um, he also confirmed it was not the original bar and it was not alabaster. I'm thinking they sold that sucker for a good chunk of change and then put in a decent bar. It was still a nice a bar. decent bar. It was still nice, but it wasn't alabaster, but it wasn't alabaster and no. mahogany. So, but I will say this, it was not a total loss because shortly before we were going to leave the bar slash restaurant to go meet with our ghost tour because we were staying there to get out of the cold because it was freezing. It was like in the upper 30s or lower 40s mm-hmm. in Savannah and that is just not good for people that live down here. Uh, I used to be able to stand a lot colder weather in North Carolina but now I have become accustomed to the warmth of the summer days and here. Today it was beautiful. It was like 70 degrees. Yeah, that's okay. about as low as I want it to get nowadays. It's perfect. So shortly before we were about to walk out, the manager of the restaurant came over and our bartender told her about how we were asking about ghosts. So she told us a story about a few experiences. Some people that have worked there have had, and I'm going to go ahead and play a clip for you about that right now. Oh, talking about ghosts. Yeah, but they do say that the kitchen definitely is haunted. Um, Our past culinary director says that someone threw a trash can down the stairs when he was closing one night. Oh, yeah? Like, it's not something that could just roll yeah. the yeah, stairs. Yeah. It wasn't anywhere close to the stairs. The next thing he knew, it was just like flying down the stairs. Wow. Did he fly out the door? Yes. Like, it <laughs> traumatized him. He was really upset about it. And then, um, 
supposedly there's video footage somewhere of like pots and things moving around in the kitchen with no one in there. I haven't seen it, but they do say that there is footage of that. The guy that um, that happened to is no longer with the company, or else it would have been one of those things I could have just said. Yeah. Um, you know, you could talk to him about it. But, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of people. I have our marketing director was here one evening after it was closed by herself. Yeah. And she said she experienced something that she never had before. Yeah. Like she felt like somebody was pushing her. Oh, yeah. I just got chills talking about I, that. I did too. Oh my gosh. Like she was really, really upset because, and she called her boyfriend and he's like, don't tell me you're at the fence point. And she said, yeah, that's exactly where I am. Do you know where it was in here? Second floor. Second floor. So it turns out that like most places in Savannah, it is in fact haunted. That's a shocker, right? (laughs) Such a shocker. Yeah. So then after we went there, we went on our ghost tour and uh, we headed to Lafayette Square to meet our tour. We took the tour from Haunted Savannah, known as Spirits and Scoundrels. And I highly recommend it. It was great, right? Yeah, he was one of the most um, like engaging, yeah, and knowledgeable, um, and knowledgeable tour guides we've had. Like sometimes they're just like you know just there because they have to be. I think, but or they're SCAD students yeah, and like, it's a job. He really liked his job. You could tell. Yeah, he said he was a uh, former Marine drill and sergeant, a history I believe, teacher. And so a history he really teacher. likes history. So yeah. I like that. Our tour guide was named Greg. And we got to the fountain shortly before he arrived, but when he came strolling up, we knew we were in for a good trip. He had even had one of those rings like Lestat had on Interview <laughs> with a Vampire. Yeah, what he, did he say that thing was called? A jabby thing. No, like, the guy jab. asked him what it was called. I can't remember what he said it was. He's like, I don't know. You just jab him in the throat with it. That's what you do. That's how every, everybody in Savannah had these on every finger back in the 1800s. You he know? was dressed in like a full uniform and he had like little swords or something in his belt. I don't know. Yeah. And porcupine quills in his hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If he ever listens to this, you did a great job, man. Love it. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Check it out. So he took us around, told us some great stories, and I think we're going to save those for an upcoming episode, right? Yeah, there was just too much to talk about right now. We yeah. have other things to talk about. Yes, we do. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into our story now. And this week, we will be talking about a legend that crosses over into true crime. My favorite kind. Yeah. This one is a fairly new legend, and it's only been around for a little while. It's actually known as creepy pasta. It's not specifically only creepy pasta, but that is what it's considered, which is a whole genre of legends and things as such. And for those of you who haven't heard this term, here's Wikipedia's definition. Creepy pasta are horror-related legends that have been shared around the internet. And, uh, creepy pasta has since become a catch-all term for any horror content posted onto the internet. These internet entries are often brief, user-generated, paranormal stories intended to scare readers. They include gruesome tales of murder, suicide, and otherworldly occurrences. The subject matter of creepypasta varies widely and can include topics such as ghosts, murder, zombies, and haunted television shows and video games. Creepypastas range in length from a single paragraph to lengthy, 
multi-part series that can span multiple media types. This seems like something I should be well familiar with, but I'm actually not. Like I've heard of it, obviously, but I've never like looked into it. It's probably a rabbit hole I don't need to go down. Yeah, I'm shocked that you haven't. But I will say this, in preparation for this episode, when she finally started listening to the story we're about to tell you, she spent hours working it on this. It was fascinating. And the story a lot of you may be familiar with. So we'll get to that here in a minute. The story today is the creepypasta legend of Slenderman. Yeah, I sort of remember when this first came out, and we remember your incident in the yard. Yeah, I was scared of Slenderman. <laughs> and you tripped, That's over, when the I tripped over the basketball. I knew he was coming. With the I black eyed kids. I knew it. The black eyed kids, Slenderman. There's probably a Wendigo in the trees, too. <laughs> probably butchered that pronunciation. And the Mothman. Yeah, and the Mothman. They all hang out together. It's all good times. So, the Slenderman character was actually created by a man named Eric Knudsen. Or maybe Knudsen. Mm-hmm. That's um, how I heard it pronounced. Yeah, I want to put the name down here and you pronounce it however you want. Uh, While using the online name Victor Surge in 2009, there was a web forum called Something Awful. Again, I've never heard of this, but it's pretty popular. (laughs) And they were running a Photoshop contest asking contestants to create a photo that looked paranormal. Eric, a.k.a. Victor Surge, submitted two photos with children, and in the background is a scary-looking man. He is tall and thin with seemingly no face. The photos are very eerie. Eric decided to put captions on the photos. The quote under the first photograph read, We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. Are we going to put these up on the screen? Oh, they're going to be on the screen. They're so weird. They're on the screen. Okay. Now, the second picture, the quote under the second photograph read, One of the two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished, and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. 1986. Photographer Mary Thomas. Missing since June 13th, 1986. And yeah, those pictures are nightmare fuel. I've, yeah. I've been scared of Slender Man for years. And he's totally made up, completely know, fabricated. It's, like, it's not real. Not even remotely it's, real. It's funny how a picture and a caption can make you believe something. I make things scarier than they are in my mind. It's like everything terrifies me in a way it was not even really intended to, yeah. I think. I, I give like free real estate to Slender Man, Black Eyed Kids, and the most terrifying thing I have ever seen on Stephen King's movie. You remember it? Which one? The vampire movie, Salem's Lot. Oh, yeah. There's a scene where a little kid's floating outside of a bedroom <laughs> window and he scratches the window. Yeah, like but this. have you seen that since you've been an adult? It scared you as a child, but do you think I'm it was still scary scared now? of it, Crystal? The thing that scared me the most as a child was Children of the Corn. I've never seen that. Okay, well, there's like this rolling demon thing coming up under from under the ground and it's like it's coming at them. And mm-hmm. like that, I'm sure it looks super cheesy to me now if I saw it. But as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh. It wasn't even so much that it scared me when I saw it, which it did. It terrified me. It was the thought that when I went to bed that night, 
I couldn't look at my window because I knew there'd be a little vampire kid floating out there <laughs> scratching on the door or the window or the door. I mean, either way works. Apparently, yeah. my parents' house is haunted. So we might talk about my actual parents' a, house. We might do an episode about that in someday. an un- upcoming episode. Have Andrew on. Yeah. My little <laughs> brother. He could probably do good with this. Yeah. Um, after this, these pictures and this story. It didn't take long for Slender Man to take on a life of his own. So it went viral, as they say. Viral back in the day. He became the subject of many creepy pasta stories. The stories can be as short as a paragraph or as long as a multi-part series. Eric said he was inspired by H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King, specifically Stephen King's novel, The Mist. Slender Man is said to be between 6 and 14 feet tall. And depending on the legend, yeah, I think he can like change sizes and that yeah. type of thing. Possibly with tendrils from his back that allows him to attach to trees and capture his victims. Convenient. It is indeed. The story has really taken off and has many more offshoots. Another story that supposedly, and there's our favorite word again, <laughs> supposedly, is the story of, and I will butcher this. Please bear with me. I do not speak German. I'm going to try to sound German when I do it, though. Okay. Is the story of Der Grossmann. Nice. Close. That's Probably close. not even remotely what it's supposed <laughs> to be pronounced like. Der Grossmann is the story of a tall man in German folklore dating back to the 1500s. This tall man is similar to Slender Man. He lives deep in the forest, is tall with very long arms and legs, he uses to come and take children. Most likely, this legend was told to children to keep them from wandering into the woods alone. Was that a thing that happened, I guess? Like, kids just wander into woods? I mean, I did it when I was a kid. Did you not? Did you not just leave the house and go around the neighborhood? I go wasn't allowed private to go. Park? I wasn't. No, they, I wasn't supervised. I should have been. I was allowed to go from the stop sign to the, the stop sign to the bush right in front of my neighbor's house. And that was it. No woods for me. Oh, I was in the woods all the time on private property. We were on government property. We went down to the <laughs> reservoir. We were in all kinds he of places. He was unruly, I we heard. Were, we were not supposed to be. Um, like we said, the legend was, and this is also part of the creepypasta. So all this stuff we're talking about here, this is how in-depth these stories have gotten. They've even tried to make it sound like there's extended history that this is based off. So of. this isn't true either. No. It's just made up. No, to it's give made it a up. backstory. It's made up to make it seem to give more a fictional character, a fictional backstory. It's but crazy. the thing is, the fact that it's so developed, mm-hmm. I think, will come into play when we get to the second portion of our episode that Crystal will be doing, which actually talks about how a supposed character of horror turned into a real life horror story. Yeah. So. I'm going to read an excerpt from a story that I found at the uh, at Weebly.com called Germany, the Slender Archives, and I'm definitely going to butcher this again, so please bear with me. The Slenderman's origins can be traced back to medieval 16th to 18th century Germany and a legend labeled Der Grossmann. This legend is roughly translated to the tall man, the great man, the big man, and others. The legend is located from Schwarzwald, otherwise known as the Black Forest, a fair-sized area in southwest Germany. This forest is the central focus for the Der Grossmann legend. As the story goes, Der Grossmann, I can't stop saying, (laughs) Der Grossmann is a fairy who lives in the Black Forest. 
Parents would warn their children not to go into the woods late at night or even stay up too late for that matter. They also added that if the children did not do this, then Der Grossmann would come and take them. How would he take them? Well, the stories vary. For children who had gone into the forest despite their parents' warnings, Der Grossmann is said to have chased them in his forest. He would prolong this pursuit until he finally caught the children, stealing them away to a fate unknown. Or the chase would also stop when the child returned home and confessed to their parents what they had done or that they had disobeyed them and gone in the forest. At very least in this method, there is a hope of escape. Other stories tell of less fortunate outcomes. Some stories tell of how he lures in children by haunting them and whispering voices in their head to come to him. Children who go to him are said to walk into him with his many arms and will be taken away to yet again a fate unknown. A few other stories also say that Der Grossmann will come tapping at the window of a child who stays up too late and he will take them away. Their fate, cryptically and as the legend repeats, unknown. Are you scaring yourself? I have been scared since we got here. Are you going to be able to sleep tonight? Only if we leave the light on and the TV on and let the dogs come down there and you um, block all doorways with furniture. Okay. Der Grossmann himself is labeled to have many profound features. These include great height, as implied by the name, incredibly thin, multiple upper limbs, and disfigured facial features. He is said to be tall as to hide amongst the trees of the Black Forest, and so his name was based off of this most obvious fact. He is also described to be excessively thin, along with his height, to further camouflage amongst the trees of Schwarzwald. See, it sounded more German every time I say it. Which include various pines and firs like Norway spruce and white pine. His multiple upper limbs are described as handless, and they are often compared to tentacles. He is said to use these limbs to ensnare children so he can take them away. His facial features also vary by story. Some say he is void of any facial features whatsoever. Other accounts describe him as having pearl orb eyes and no face. And a few describe him to be faceless but have a gruesome smile. Because that's in your nightmares. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing we can agree on, it's that this character has all the hallmarks of something we humans would innately fear. The gruesome appearance, the threat of unknown danger, the tantalizing idea of something hiding in plain sight. Something that you might never want to see, but at the same time, you kind of do. Does that make any sense at all? It does. Something deep inside us makes us want to be scared. I guess it's why we look for ghosts when we know good and well <laughs> that I don't really you want, don't want to, see one. to see one. It's something about the adrenaline rush you get, I suppose, that in a way pushes us to seek out the unknown. Or something that's not possible to exist and yet in some way we feel that it does. There's also a poem I found about this creature, which is also a work of fiction, but I thought it would be interesting to share with you as well. I found this on the Creepypasta website. It's called Schlonkwald. <laughs> Schlonkwald. Schlonkwald. Oh, I love it. They say that monsters come only at night, that light will drive them away. But not all creatures follow this rule, safety not certain during the day. 
He hides on the fringes of your vision, brief glimpses of the distorted. He slithers and writhes behind your eyes, reaching for you, limbs contorted. Before you know it, your children are taken, and now it's come down to you. His breath is oppressive, his presence acidic. He feels pity is undue. Suddenly, trapped in his grasp so tight, you struggle to break yourself free. He laughs and he gurgles and he screeches with glee. He turns your head for you to see. Your children are crying, though their eyes are removed. They collapse, still and silent. His arms and leg bend, pulling you closer. The man's eyes dark and violent. He strikes and he cuts, your skin flays open, your soul too weak to resist. This should not have happened, if only you had listened. Never go into his forest. Okay, we're never going camping, that's for sure. Uh, I going, didn't want to go anyway, we're but going now, to I have a, wall, baby. now I have a we're real going to legit reason. I've got tickets to the first flight to Schlonkwald. We're going through Vegas first, but we're going to Schlonkwald, <laughs> and we're going to go camp, do some EVPs, maybe you get slayed and flayed a lot yeah <laughs> so that was really impressive with your voice over there I, um, I was really trying to bring the heat with that one yeah we've so. gotten a lot of people that really like your voice maybe you'll get some voiceover work who after knows this. i wasn't even really trying <laughs> you know i can do a lot of things i can do casey case i'm too yeah but i'm not going to so <laughs> anyways i think we've established the legend the creepy pasta this creature that can't possibly exist because it was just recently created, but yet at the same time feels like it's probably existed as long as any fable monster. Like it's been there all along. Just like you think of vampires or werewolves. I mean nobody believes werewolves are real, which means that they are real and we'll probably get a voicemail from one. And they'll be outside at the car (laughs) and he'll have a fifth of crown and he'll be like, hey man. You want to buy this toaster? You want to buy this toaster? <laughs> <laughs> so, so all this being said, we're going to take this to the real true horror story of Slender Man. And it has a true crime aspect. And, and we're going to start with a clip. All right. I'll start right now. He was my only friend for a long time. Because Why would you hurt your only friend? It was necessary. I said, I'm scared. I was told... I was told that if I didn't do something, my family would be in danger. Who's Slender Man? He's uh, this tall, faceless man who preys on children. Ever met him? Not exactly. Tell me about him. He watches you. Okay, so I think we've established that Slender Man is not real. Yes, we have. But it seems that some young minds are unable to differentiate between reality and fantasy. And this is proven in the case that took place in 2014. Oh, do tell. So it's May 31st in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and sixth grader Morgan Geyser is having a sleepover for her 12th birthday. Sounds perfectly normal. Yeah. So she invites her best friends, Peyton Lautner and Anissa Wire over. So Anissa is pretty new to the school, and she made friends with Morgan back in November. And so she isn't real friends with Peyton. She's only met her. Occasionally, but okay. since they're both friends with Morgan, Morgan, it's her birthday, so she invites them both over. And okay. Peyton is Morgan's best friend. Okay. So Peyton and Morgan, they've been best friends since fourth grade. So that's two years. 
And they call her Bella because when they were in first grade or so, there was another Peyton. And so she was like, just call me by my middle name, which is Bella. So a lot of times they're going to refer to her as Bella in some of the clips. So Peyton is also known as Bella. Okay. So the girls enjoy a fun night at Skateland, their local skating rink. Oh, they're skaters. Yeah, 12-year-olds like to do. So they have some pizza, come home, watch a movie. And this is like, you know, just a typical Friday night yeah. for 12 year olds. I was never a 12 year old girl, but if well, I this was, is what we that's did what when I would we have were done. 12, yeah. What Peyton Lautner doesn't know is that her best friend Morgan and her friend Anissa Wire have been plotting for months to kill her. Well, that a, just went yeah, dark real fast. As a sacrifice to Slenderman. Peyton doesn't know is that her best friend Morgan and her friend Anissa have been plotting for months to kill her as a sacrifice to Slenderman. And they think by doing this, they're going to be able to go live with him in his mansion in the Nicolay Forest. Where in the world would they come up with this the story? The internet is where you found all this stuff. They found it too. So this goes back to where you're saying that children have trouble differentiating between reality right. and they're fantasy. They're reading all this stuff online and they believe it to be true. If you look this stuff up, and you find the sources for it, it even fooled us. Like, I thought that that old legend I read you was an actual old story from medieval Germany. But it turns out it's just another bit of creepy pasta. So it's not unbelievable to think that these girls were fooled into thinking that these stories were actually true. Yeah, 12-year-old brains are not fully developed. And oftentimes they do have trouble, like, differentiating. So... I mean, I can kind of see it, especially. Yeah. And I also was full bot, so I still believe Slender Mandrill. <laughs> so back in December, so remember, this is May 31st. So they've been yes. plotting this since December. And um, Morgan came to Anissa and told her that they should be proxies for Slenderman so that they could prove themselves worthy. And Anissa really didn't know what that meant or whatever, but she So by to- proxy, she means that they're going to basically do his dirty work for him. Right. So that they can prove themselves worthy so okay. that he'll accept them. And so their original plan, now they've been planning this since for five months. Wow. Yeah. So they knew that when Morgan's birthday came up, that's when they wanted to do it because they knew they were going to have a sleepover. Extremely premeditated. Right. And you'd think like they'd have time to figure out like, wait, maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe this isn't. So no. You would think. Their first plan was that they were going to put duct tape over her mouth and like slit her throat while she was sleeping and then cover her with a blanket and then leave for the mansion in the middle of the night. Do you think they really believe yes, this? They you think, really, you think like, both of these girls yes, believed yes. this? After like watching. Well, I guess when you see the heaven's interrog- gate cult thing, yeah, happen, watching the or, interrogation videos, they believe they believed it. Now will, I will say this. I listened to some of what she was watching while she's preparing for the episode. I didn't go into depth, but I did hear this one girl talking. Can I talk about this right now? We'll talk about it when we get to her interview. We'll talk about it in a few. (laughs) But the reason they didn't do it that night was because they were too tired from skating. That shows how seriously this this thing is happening. And they put it on the same level as, well, it's skating. It's watching a movie. It's homicide. Yeah, it's it's like just another thing we're going to do. We're going to play with Play-Doh. I mean, it's just like. There's no weight to it. Mm-hmm. Almost like it. they don't register how serious like they don't, that they is. They don't understand the gravity of it. Yeah. 
So their next plan was that they were going to lure her to the park the next day and kill her in the bathroom. And they thought that would be a good idea because there's a drain on the floor and they thought all the blood would go down the drain. That's not how that works. I know that. (laughs) So um, once they got there, they were like, kind of like, well, you do it. No, you do it. Like, no, no. And so they just kind of didn't like, they're like, this is not going to work. They were afraid people would hear like that kind of thing. So their third plan was that they were going to lure her into the woods and pretend to play hide and seek and then, you know, jump on her. So the two girls, Peyton and Anissa, went to hide and Morgan was the one looking for them. And when she found them, she jumped on um, Peyton and like she gave the knife to Anissa and told her to stab her or whatever, but she wouldn't do it. And so Morgan gives the knife back to Anissa and Anissa gives the knife back to Morgan because they're like going back and forth. And so now Morgan has the knife and Anissa says, quote, go ballistic, go crazy. And she does. And she just starts stabbing Peyton relentlessly. Relentlessly. Yes. Like how relentlessly. Ended up being 19 times. That's crazy. When you think about how long it takes. And I, I know it's a But to think about 19, think about 19 times, no matter even if you're quick with it. Like after the first couple, you would think you would like come to your senses or something. I don't know, like snap out of it. I don't know. So as she stabs Peyton, um, Peyton yells at them, I hate you. I trusted you. And when they're done stabbing her, they tell her to lay down so that she wouldn't lose blood as quickly and that they would go get help. But they had no intention of getting help. They admit this in their interrogation. Okay. Instead, they start heading down the interstate towards the Nicolay Forest in search of Slenderman's mansion. Now, this is a five-hour car ride from where they are. So, imagine how long it would take to walk. Two 12-year-olds. Yeah. So, they're just sitting out on their own. Like, they think they're going to walk here. I don't know. And they know how to get where they're going or they just go in a direction? They're walking in the direction that they think it is. Okay. Which is just as likely to find Slenderman as if they had walked the other direction (laughs) because he isn't real. He isn't real. Except when he's in my front yard at my house in North Carolina and I didn't see him, but I know he was there. So Peyton, who is seriously injured, manages to crawl out of the woods and into some grass next to a bike path. And a biker named Greg Steinberg just happened to be passing by and spots her. So this path was actually chained off and you weren't supposed to go down it, but he decided he was, for whatever reason that day, he was just going to take a little bike ride. Yeah. And lucky, lucky that he did because. Very fortuitous. It is fortuitous. That's what I wrote there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That he decided to bike there that day and she tells him she's been stabbed and needs help. And he quickly calls 911 and here's a clip. Came upon a 12-year-old female. She appears to be stabbed. She appears to be what? Stabbed. Stabbed? Correct. Sir, are you with her right now? Yes. Is she awake? She's awake. Is there any bleeding going on? Her clothing has got blood on it. Okay, and you found her and she was just laying there? Yes. Paramedics racing to the scene and listen. The operator is still fearing that that 12-year-old could be in danger. Is there any assailant around? Uh, I don't see anybody. And let me know immediately if you see anything else suspicious in the area, car, or person, anything. Keep your eyes open. So obviously the 911 caller and the man that are, is there with her, they're both like, don't know what to make of this. But luckily paramedics got there really quickly and they rush her to the hospital that's four miles away. And she's quickly assessed and taken into surgery. 
And here's a clip of the surgeon discussing just how close Peyton came to dying. Oh, I'm glad to hear that she didn't die. She did not die. The knife came directly down at this point where this large branch was coming off of this major artery and cut through the tissue overlying it so that the vessels were totally exposed by this injury. The knife cut through the tissue, but not the artery itself. Exactly. The knife stopped at the wall of the artery. And had it not? Had it not, she would have uh, had a major heart attack. If the knife had gone uh, the width of a human hair further, she wouldn't have lived. So it's amazing that this little 12-year-old girl survived. And, the, you know, the doctor said the size of a human hair was the difference between life and death. Like, yeah. if it had been that much deeper, it would have, like, cut her artery. Wow. So when her mother asked her how she had the strength to crawl out of the woods, she said, quote, I wanted to live. Good for her. Yeah. So while Peyton was undergoing the surgery for six hours, Morgan and Anissa are making their way down Interstate, Interstate 94, 94, where they eventually, uh, you know, are spotted by the police and brought in. In their backpack, they find granola bars, clothes, water bottles, pictures of their families, and a five-inch knife. Was it the knife that they attacked her with? It is. Well, what else would it? Yeah, well, like they didn't they even bother to like really knife. clean it. Like one of them says she wiped it on her jacket a little bit, but that's it. Well, obviously, we already saw they didn't understand the gravity of the situation from the beginning. So I don't think getting rid of evidence is probably no. primary in their mind since they think they're going to Slender Man's mansion. Yeah. So the police interrogate both girls for several hours, and I watched most of both of these interviews, and it, I recommend you go watch this. It's really crazy stuff. Yeah. She watched more than she even had to for this episode. That's how messed up it was. And it you're was gonna, just, I couldn't believe what they were saying. Yeah, and you're going to hear it for yourself. This right, is Anissa. Right now. And, and so in reading these, you truly believe that slender exists, that there's slender out there. Mm-hmm. And says, you do it. 
And then I give it back to her and say, you do it, go ballistic. And she said, okay, I'll go ballistic whenever, when you say you want me to. I told her that I didn't care when she did it. And she said, whatever. So I started walking away. And then like when I was five feet away, I said now. And Morgan said, don't be afraid. I'm only a little kitty cat. And uh, jumped on top of Bella and stabbed her repeatedly. So to me, Anisa seems very truthful, and she acts to me like I would expect a twelve-year-old to act. Like you she's know. feeling remorse for what she's yeah, done. Yeah, she shows some remorse, and I'm sure some adults talked to her and maybe put some sense into well, her head, helped her they process. They asked her, it. you know, did you believe that this was real? And she said, yes, I did, until I, you know, we asked Slenderman to help us when they were like, they were having a nervous breakdown trying to get away and yeah. they were like, they called out to slender man and he didn't do anything. And so like, that's when she realized it wasn't real. Yeah. And you know, the police explaining that this is not real and like, it all came to her. Like, I, I mean, she still has, you know, issues, but I think she was truly well, believed what she was doing. The gravity of the situation, probably when they started walking, because I assume they both thought they killed her. Yes, because so, one of them, I think it's Morgan, was like, you know, is she, you know, we killed her. Oh, wait, I don't know if she's alive. And then they're like, yeah, she, she's alive. Yeah. And she's like, oh, good. You know, like. Very heartfelt. Yeah. It says it saves you from a murder charge. Yeah. You know, you should be happy about that at least. Yeah. So um, I think Anissa was the follower in this situation because she didn't have any other friends. Morgan was her only friend. And. Um, Peyton was actually Morgan's only friend. Like, you know, the, I mean, they were both like isolated. So why girls. did they feel that this girl had to be the one to die? Was I it just it a random a, selection? Well, or? as Morgan puts it, it was necessary and she has no explanation other than it was necessary. And she says that multiple times as you will hear. Okay. And this is an interview with Morgan. How did you know how to, were you guys, what were you trying to do with her when you stabbed her? Kill her because we were careless. I knew this would happen. I knew we'd get in trouble. We led her there and tricked her. The last thing she said to me, to, to me was, I trusted you. And then she said, I hate you. And then we lied to her. Anissa said that she'd go get help. I didn't have anything to do with the lying. Well, that was all Anissa. She said we were going to go get help. How did you trick her to get down there? We said that we were going to go bird watching. People who trust you become very gullible. And it was sort of sad. It was weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would. I still have this idea in my head that it was necessary. So you, don't, you didn't feel any, it was weird that you didn't feel your remorse? Mm-hmm. I actually felt nothing. Anissa had me sing for her, because she said she was scared. So why did you decide to stand Bella? It was necessary. Did you feel bad? I would just stab one of your best friends? 
thought about it, but then I decided that remorse will get me nowhere. Okay, that girl's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she has a lot of issues, and it's just complete manipulation on her part. Like, you can just hear it. It was terrifying to me, and not in the sense that ghosts terrify me, but it's terrifying to hear a child talking. I mean, she sounded extremely smart. Yes, extremely smart. extremely manipulative. Like, she thought she was going to play that detective. She thought that she was smarter than he was. And she's, like, sitting in the chair, and she's fidgeting, and she's, like, pulling her legs into her shirt, putting her arms into her shirt, just acting all, you know. Like, she went to the principal's office for, like, like, doing something out of turn in class. Like, she's just like, yeah, well, I figure I should tell you about this because I figure you have all the access to all the files, and you're going to figure this out. So, I might as well tell you the truth. We were trying to kill her, you know. (laughs) Didn't you say, or we read somewhere that psychopaths like to use jargon? Yes. And yes. the lingo to make themselves look more important or involved. Did I see, did you say that or did I see that on forensic files? <laughs> it was probably forensic files. And I don't know that she's been diagnosed as a psychopath, but she has been diagnosed as schizophrenic. And so I don't know. I don't know what exactly it takes to constitute being a psychopath. But but as I understand (laughs) it from movies and horror films, she fits the bill. Yeah, she's scary. Yeah. This 12-year-old was scary. You got to listen to these interviews. What little I heard, it was shocking. Yeah, they have the complete interviews on YouTube. It's Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire. I'm going to put a link to these videos up here so that you can go actually watch the videos because the audio is one thing, but uh, there'll be a link up here and you'll be able to actually go view some of these videos. It's it's crazy. So the next day, both girls were charged with attempted first degree intentional homicide for what police say was a plot planned over months to kill their classmate to appease Slenderman, a fictitious Internet character. That was a charge. Yeah. So that was in May of 2014. So now we're going to August of 2014. So it's a few months later. Okay. And based on testimony from two experts, a judge finds that Geyser, which is Morgan, is incompetent. And he suspends the prosecution of attempted first degree intentional homicide against the 12 year old. Okay. So for the time being, she's nothing's happening. So this, that's. The ringleader? Yes, that's the psychopathic one. He found her incompetent. Does <laughs> incompetent, that Incompetent. So yes. does incompetent mean that she might be capable, but she like she has issues with her mental faculties? Yeah, she has mental... Like something... She has schizophrenia. In the sense that, that they're gonna find out it might later. be something that needs to be addressed in a different way. Yes. So they're, they're trying to evaluate them and see what they need to do with them. Because they are 12 years old after all, you know? Yeah. So also in August... Um, Governor Walker declares a day for the stabbing victim, Peyton. And, you know, people from all over the world start sending in purple hearts with messages on it. Yeah. And her parents put them all over her wall and they read every single one of them, they say. Yeah. And um, they launched a fundraising site to cover her medical expenses. And some anonymous donor even covered all of their legal bills. Well, that's very, law- very good of that lawyers. person. Congratulations to whoever you are. <laughs> And Governor Scott Walker declared August 13th, Purple Hearts for Healing Day for Peyton. Okay. So in September, which is the month later, Anissa Wire undergoes a psychological evaluation and a judge determines that they're going to delay, you know, the 
the ruling to see if they're going to transfer her to juvenile court because they're trying them as adults at this point. They're, that's what they want to do. But their uh, lawyers obviously want them tried as children. Well, they should obviously, but they the, the one girl should definitely have been tried as an adult. I don't know about the other girl, but I guess if one's tried as an adult, would the other one just by association be tried well, as an adult? Well, they're tried separately. Can, can it they can be separate. It? Yeah, so it's not, not related. It is not related. In the sense of how the criminal justice system works, it's just that they were affiliated with each other, so they might be sharing the crimes as like an accomplice. I, do, I don't know what they were charged with. Well, they're both charged with first degree. With the first degree that you told side. me earlier. Yeah. Okay. So they both had the same charge. Same charge, but they'll get individual, like they have individual lawyers and they could get different sentences based on, because of, you know, they're going to evaluate them individually mentally. Yes. So in September, so this is just a few months after the stabbing. September of 2014. Yeah. Um, 2020 features this case and they show Peyton and she's doing much better and she gets to return to school. She loves school. She's in seventh grade. And this is the first time that the family has spoken with the news media. Yeah. And they don't talk. They don't ask her anything about it. They just show that she's, you know, happy and recovering because she's still 12 at this point. Huh. So they don't want to ask her any questions. Did she uh, make a full recovery? She did. And she'll be on TV later. All right. They, they follow up with it later on. Okay. So in December of 2014, both girls are now found competent to proceed. As to be tried as adults or? At this point, yes. Okay. And the pre- preliminary hearing is set for February of 2015. So this will be a few months from then. Okay. So now... Um, in February 2015, Geyser's attorney tells a judge that she believed that she had to kill or she would be killed herself. So it's February 2015, and we are finally getting to the preliminary hearing. So this is just dragging on because okay. of legal stuff. So Geyser's attorney, that's Morgan, um, tells the judge that she believed that she had to kill or she would be killed herself by the fictional internet character Slenderman. So she's still, you know, saying this whole thing. Is, is that one of the legends of Slenderman that they ha- you have to do his bidding? Yeah, he has proxies and he has killers or something. Okay, so this thing, it would be interesting to go research Slenderman just from the sense to see how this legend has expanded yeah. almost like... The way Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Because at this point, it had only been out for five years when they did this. So it's probably... Sort of like the Blair Witch Project then. Because I remember when the Blair Witch Project came out. And it was the first found footage movie that that I know of. I mean, there may have been predecessors. But it was the first large commercially available movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember at first, they were real secretive about it. And it was before the internet was exploded and everything. So they made it out like they really found those video, video cassettes, and that these people were not actors. Yeah, they were literally people that were. Yeah, I remember being confused by, by the Blair Witch, and it like, but you sort of wanted, in a way, to believe yeah. that was real, just because something about like even Halloween is just like we like being scared. Mm-hmm. We like to think that there's evil in the world, but we want to reach it in an accessible way that doesn't threaten us. But it's interesting. That's why we watch horror movies. I think you yeah. know. So one month later, March 2015, a judge rejects the argument that the girls acted under a kill or be killed belief, which would have made the offense attempted second degree intentional homicide. And then the girls would have been tried as juveniles. So he rejects this and they're going to be tried as adults. So he rejected it because I assume he listened to all this 
uh, yes, interviews yes, where they never indicated with, this know, previously, right? Right, and he met with the you know psychologists and the, you know the professionals that were talking to the girls, and you know he was very disturbed by this whole thing where they spent months of planning. It's not like oh they had a moment and decided to kill their a friend. moment of cl- clarity as to oh yes, Slenderman says this must happen. Yeah. So in April. Lawyers for Morgan request that her bail be reduced and that she be allowed to move to Milwaukee Academy, an all-girls residential treatment center in Wa- Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa. But I probably got that wrong. <laughs> the judge says that because the facility is not secured, Morgan would be considered a flight risk. So she has to stay where she's at. That girl don't need to be out no, in the open public. No, no, I'll no, tell you no, that no. right now. She's going to hurt herself or someone else or somebody's property. So also at the same time, Wires um, had a psychological evaluation and they say she is a very low risk of future criminal activity and a high likelihood of success in treatment for the issues that landed her there. So they don't seem to think she's as volatile. So who actually did the stabbing? Morgan. Okay. Because Anissa wouldn't do it. it was, she's the one that said go ballistic. Okay. But Morgan actually did the stabbing. Okay. According to Anissa. All right. So who do you believe? I don't know. Probably more likely to believe Anissa than yeah. I would believe. She seemed more Morgan. truthful, but you know. Because Morgan seems like the kind of person that could look you right in the eye and be stone cold lying to you and have absolutely no remorse for it or anything else she's probably ever done. So in June of 2015, Morgan is diagnosed with early onset schizophrenia and it's said to be genetic and that her father had a similar mental illness as an adolescent and he had been hospitalized at least four times when he was 14 or 15. So if you're a schizophrenic, does that mean that you have multiple personalities or is that something different? I think it does. And I, I think you can like compartmentalize things. So I don't know. do you, do you separate yourself from the emotions or things that I think you do. Like she says in one of her interviews, like, why would you feel negative emotions? I just turn that off. Like, you know, yeah. Like people can't do that. And like know? maybe the emotions you see are an act. Maybe right. she doesn't have emotions. Right. So in August, um, a judge rules that the girls don't qualify for juvenile court. So this is a key decision and Judge Boren. So he says that there is a three part test for transferring them to juvenile court. And that they do not meet these um, qualifications and that they are going to be tried as adults. And because if they were tried as juveniles, then they would be only subjected to intense community supervision until the age of 18. Yeah. And then I think like your record gets like, you know, cleared and you don't have any like repercussions really after that. So I dang near slaughtered was, a person, but he I'm He was good. very much against that. And he really wanted them tried as adults so that there would be 12. ongoing you know, ongoing um, supervision, at least. So before all this, the girls' faces weren't shown on TV. They were blurred out, but now they're leaving, you know, they're lifting their restrictions. And now the people can see, you know, the media showing their faces. So it's got to be hard on the families and the... I'd imagine so. So September 2015, the girls' attorneys ask an appellate court to reverse the judge's decision to keep the case in adult court. So this is like, they're just battling back and forth. They want, you know, the judges, the judge wants them tried as adults. The yeah. lawyers clearly don't. So it just goes on and on and on and on. Cause now it's 2016. Yeah. 
and Morgan enters a psychiatric hospital. So a civil judge approves sending her to a state mental hospital where she gets her first treatment for schizophrenia. So she's been diagnosed for several months and she's getting no medication and no treatment. And so that doesn't sound like a good combination. Right. So this medication, you know, her lawyer says it helps to quell the voices from imaginary friends like Slenderman. Before this, she was confined to a juvenile detention center. Okay. So Morgan's mom speaks out in June of 2016, and she's become an advocate for reform in mental illness and juvenile crime laws. And this is her. This is a clip of her talking. You can't hold somebody responsible for the rest of their life for something they did when they were 12. While Morgan was in custody, she was diagnosed with early onset schizophrenia, a condition Geyser says her husband suffers from. I don't think that there were any glaring, obvious um, clues that she was ill. Earlier this month, Morgan was moved from a Wisconsin juvenile detention center to a state mental hospital where she's undergoing treatment, something her mother says has helped. With this um, lucidity that she's developed comes an awareness of the gravity of her situation. So she misses home, she misses her family. When Morgan remembers the incident, it's like remembering something that someone else did. She um, She wasn't in control of her brain at the time of the event. Um, and she's, she said that it's like remembering someone else's memories. That wasn't Morgan who did that. This, um, this wouldn't have happened if not for Morgan's untreated mental illness. Her standard answer when I ask her why she didn't tell us about things is because we would have done something about it. So to me, this sounds like a mother who doesn't think that her daughter should have as much accountability as this judge is thinking she should have. Like... I don't know how the mom couldn't have seen this earlier. Yeah, I didn't mention, but it like, probably didn't just when, happen when, when the she police searched her room. They found all kinds of disturbing drawings and like a Barbie doll that had like a big X marked on its abdomen and like you know just all kinds of not the normal stuff you'd find in a twelve-year-old girl's room. No, I've seen some of the drawings and it's like Slender Man and he's going to get you and all these weird things and yeah. So clearly, you know. The parents weren't paying enough attention. Oh. And so, you know, when we watched that interrogation of Morgan, she clearly displayed an understanding of what she did. Like she admitted it and she said she had no remorse. She said that herself. Yeah, I heard her say it, it was pretty cold. Yeah. So even if she does have schizophrenia, I, I just still think she needs to have some responsibility, you know, for this because it's yeah. serious. Like she literally Obviously, could have murdered this she child. She wanted her dead. Mm hmm. So this is the parents of Anissa speaking. I tell them that I'm thankful that Peyton survived. And I would tell them that for as much as they are struggling with trying to process this and what happened to their daughter, we are struggling equally trying to process this with what happened not only to their daughter, but to our daughter. So I didn't like that statement that he said that they're struggling just as much as the Lautner family, you know, trying to understand what happened to their daughter. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I know what happened. Yeah. I Your mean, daughter was weak minded and was a follower. And yeah, uh, I mean, I feel bad somewhat for these two girls, but at the same time, like it's not what Peyton's going through uh, and her family. Uh, you know, uh, it's not at all the same. So I just don't feel like either of these sets of parents understand the 
you know, what they've done, what the children did, or they don't want to believe it. I think it's hard to believe that your child would do something hard like to that. Process. Like if yeah. I can imagine if one of our kids had I know, done something it'd be like crazy, that, you would boy, never it would see it coming. Because they, they really didn't have any idea that their kids had anything mentally wrong with them. So, and they're, they're like fighting for um, there to be more brain development issue investigation because like, they say that the laws haven't been updated because they've done lots of studies on young brains now and they know that there's like a lack of development. Yeah. So they should be protected. So July 2016, Wire and Geyser are properly charged as adult. The Court of Appeals rules. The decision affirmed a trial judge's ruling in 2015 that the girls had failed to show by preponderance of the evidence that they should be transferred from adult court to juvenile court. The girls' lawyers have said from the time that they were charged as adults that this case should have been playing, playing out in juvenile court. Of course, lawyers say that. Yeah, so they say no. They're going to be tried as adults. But the problem with it is that Peyton's family didn't want them to go to trial because they didn't want her to have to testify because she never wanted to really talk about it, yeah. even with her family. Would so, she have had to testify? Yes. And so they didn't want the possibility of her having to. So yeah. they were okay with plea agreements. So in August of 2016, Morgan enters a plea of not guilty by reason of mental disease. And two doctors are ordered to evaluate her to determine whether the girl's condition could support the not guilty by reason of mental disease finding. Well, I believe there's a mental issue with this girl. <laughs> yeah. So they probably found that that was the case. Yeah. So the following month, September 2016, Anissa pleads not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. So someone entering this kind of plea contends that at the time of the crime, a mental disease or defect prevented them from the, appreciating the wrongfulness of the action or from conforming her conduct to the law. So, okay. yeah, I, I don't really believe that that's true. Like, I, I think that they understood that what they were doing was wrong. I mean, well, they knew it was wrong. Yeah. And if you know, something's wrong, you know, although I listened to it and I don't know which one it was Morgan or whatever, but the way she was talking, it was like, yeah, we were playing and we were doing this. And then we threw this play silly putty up on the ceiling yeah. and we're doing this. And then she's giggling. Oh, they were literally playing dress up right before they went out to do this. And she's like, yeah. And then we went out and tried to kill her. Yeah. It's so nonchalant. And it was like, it was just like, well, we play with Barbie dolls. We play with Play-Doh. We stabbed her to death. And we <laughs> came back and we, you know, play some video games. That's, that's basically. And that's like, th this kid is not processing this. She doesn't understand. No. Either doesn't care. And this is why they want them child as juveniles because they don't think that they made it. I don't think all of that was her being a psychopath, which yeah. she probably is. But I think some of that, you could see the child in her yeah. coming out when she was talking. Yeah, and I think know? that's their argument is that they're children. Yeah. So now it's almost a year later. It's August 2017, and Anissa pleads guilty to attempted second-degree homicide as a party to a crime with the use of a deadly weapon and will proceed to trial only on whether her mental condition at the time should make her legally responsible for the crime. Okay. And a month later, um, she is found not guilty by mental disease. Not guilty, like she's not going to suffer any kind of punishment or recourse? Well, we'll find out. She will. A jury rules that Anissa should get treatment for Slenderman's delusions. Okay, and so this isn't the craziest one. No. This is the no, other no, girl. No. 
So she should get treatment for the Slender Man delusion that led her to try to kill her sixth grade classmate and not go to prison for the crime. Ten of 12 jurors agreed that Anissa was suffering from a mental disorder when she and Morgan tried to fatally stab Lautner and that it prevented her from knowing her conduct was wrong. Mm. So 10 of 12 agreed with that. It's a hard thing because she was 12. Like if you're talking about a 16 year old girl, I'd have less sympathy. Yeah. And I guess that's why they have professionals that evaluate and decide if, you know, they're safe to return. Because you're viewing them through the lens of how you might interpret a situation. And in the same month, September of 2017, um, Morgan is scheduled to go before a jury and she pleads guilty as charged, but not to be held criminally liable and will remain in the state mental hospital where she's been getting treatment for about 18 months. So she's avoiding a trial here. Yeah, that's probably her lawyer's goal. Yeah. So in December of 2017, um, Slender Man stabbing victim says she's still scared. And like her mom says she sleeps with scissors under her pillow that she won't even open the windows in her room. Well, I'm sure she's got all kinds of mental trauma, not just from that, but maybe in her mind, she might have been convinced that Slender Man might be real. No, she didn't believe it. Well, I would. <laughs> and not only does she have, you know, these emotional scars, she has actual physical scars too from all those stabbing. 19 stab wounds, I would say so. She's had all these surgeries to help, you know, to correct Where this were stuff. the stabs at? In her chest and her neck? Her it face? was. We said uh, one was near the heart. Yeah. So. It was her chest, her arms, her legs, n- not on her face at least. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Because if they'd have stabbed her in the neck, they probably would have killed yeah. her. Yeah. So, yeah, but she has like all these physical scars and, you know, for a 12 year old girl and now she's 14, 15 and that, you know, in 2017, you know, that's got to be traumatic I'm sure. on top of, how, you know, your, your I mean, emotions. you get upset when our dog jumps up and scratches your face know, with her like, claws and it doesn't even face. leave a mark. And you're like, oh no, my face. <laughs> I'll never be able to show myself in public again. <laughs> Anissa, who's now 15 years old, is committed to 25 years in a mental health institute. The judge followed... The Winnebago. <laughs> the Winnebago. I'm a Sherman. <laughs> that's a city and not the vehicle. Yes, I'm, I'm assuming. It'd be so much cooler. So the judge followed the prosecution recommendation for the maximum length of supervision. She will spend at least three years in the state mental institute before seeking release on community supervision. Her supervision will last until she's 37 years old. And so here is a clip. But for now, we also have breaking news in Waukesha County where Anissa Wire has learned she will spend the next 25 years in a mental health facility. Wire is one of two teens at the center of the Slender Man stabbing case, which began almost four years ago. I want everybody involved to know that I deeply regret everything that happened that day and that Nothing, I know that nothing I say is going to make this right, Your Honor. And nothing I say is going to fix what I broke. I'm just hoping that by holding myself somewhat accountable and making myself responsible for what I took part in that day. Breaking right now at 5, 40 years in a mental institution. The sentence for Morgan Geyser charged in the Slender Man stabbing case. Geyser and her friend Anissa Wire stabbed classmate Peyton Leitner 19 times. The crime carried out to please the fictional character Slender Man. 
Yeah. So Morgan is ordered committed for 40 years to a mental health treatment and monitoring and will be having to remain in the secure mental health institute. I would hope so. Keep her away from anyone else. Yeah. So this was the maximum that he could sentence her to. She's also 15 years old and uh, they want her to receive effective treatment for schizophrenia some somewhere other than Winnebago Mental Health Institute because it's uh, only adults are housed there apparently and they've committed like serious crimes. So well, they you definitely don't. Yeah, serious crimes like attempted murder. I know, but adults. So they want her, you know, in a in a juvenile. Maybe she facility. needs to be scared straight. Maybe that's the <laughs> problem. She meets a real slender man, you know, and he ain't taking her to a mansion in the woods. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so now October. Of 2019, Peyton is now 17 years old, and she goes on 2020 and does an exclusive interview. And it's a really good um, segment, like it's called The Wicked. It's on 2020. You can find it on YouTube. You should watch it. It's like five parts. We'll link to it. So uh, in 2019, she was 17, and she was a high school senior, and she talks about her friendship with Morgan, the attack, and her fears. And she says she agrees that adult court was the appropriate jurisdiction for them. She says an adult crime is adult court. So I think that's pretty wise. I agree with her. Yeah. Especially since she had to suffer. And she's still suffering, I'm sure, for the rest of her life. Yeah. I mean, the I'm sure the physical scars are bad, especially for a young lady. But the mental scars have to be worse. I I can't even imagine that because, uh, believe it or not, I was bullied as a... uh, young child and i you know nothing like this but i mean that stuff sticks with you even when you get older i can't imagine like oh no we were trying to kill you yeah and then you maybe hopefully she hasn't done this but go back and look at the interviews with these girls and then you can tell the one girl's like man i didn't know if she's alive or dead but i hope she's dead and hopefully she's been kept away from all that i mean i'm yeah. now she's 20 21 so she probably has watched it, but hopefully they kept her sheltered well. from it when she's a child. I hope she's doing good. And and then so we're going to play a couple clips of Peyton talking. Do you feel like you're a survivor? Yeah, I shouldn't be alive. I really shouldn't after what happened. Do you think, looking back, that they couldn't differentiate between what was fictional and what was real? Yeah, I think that all of those fake pictures... That were going around, I think, very strongly that they believed all of it was real. So it's good to see that she seems to be doing well. She seems to be adjusted and she seems to be a normal young lady. And hopefully she has a nice life. So now it's March 2021 and Anissa is asking for her conditional release from a state mental health hospital. Three court ordered mental health experts say that she meets the standards for the conditional release and her attorney says that she had extraordinary compliance while institutionalized. However, prosecutors say Anissa still presents a danger to others and shouldn't be released. So we're going to play a clip of the judge talking. What I saw throughout all of the reports is that Ms. Wire followed the rules carefully at Winnebago. She never lied. She was honest. She there was no deception in her comments to the, the, uh, to, the, to the treatment personnel. She was cooperative. She expressed an understanding of the offense, and that's throughout all of the reports. So this is the same judge from the whole thing where he, you know, one of them tried as adults. So I find this unusual that he's ready to let her out, but yeah. he says that he acknowledged the gravity of the crime and that Anissa 
and, you know, and Morgan, you know, did this premeditated and he says it may make people tremble because it was such a terrible thing to happen. Not only just the physical assault, but that it happened among friends who were kids. And yet he's still going to let her out. Now, I want you to know that what you did was wrong. <laughs> but I'm letting you go anyway, because you know what? I got to get the lunch. So <laughs> Here's another clip about her being released. It's a case that became an international sensation. Now, more than seven years after being charged, one of two teenagers sentenced in the slender man stabbing is set to go free. A judge granted Anissa Wire's conditional release after she served four years at the Winnebago Mental Health Institute. So Judge Bowren on July 1st granted Wire, you know, that's Anissa, yes. her conditional release after finding that there were no clear and convincing evidence that, de- that the defendant poses a substantial risk of harm to others, herself, or serious property damage. A conditional release plan will be prepared before she is released from the Winnebago Mental Health Institute. So, you know, they're, they got to come up with a plan. Well, what I'm thinking is, and this is the one that wasn't the ringleader. Right. Maybe she was just really in need of mental rehabilitation. Well, and that's what they seem to think. They all seem to so maybe think that she, she is better. could be back in society now that she's older and has had this treatment. And maybe she has matured a little and understands a little bit more of what she has done and realizes if she's got any kind of conscience, then it had to have eaten her up when she yeah. maybe finally realized I almost murdered this girl. Well, for time a fairy, will tell because she's tale. out now. She, this is September, 2021. So um, she will serve out the rest of her com- commitment in the community. She will be monitored with a GPS tracking device and she has to live with her father submit to around-the-clock GPS monitoring, and receive psychiatric treatment. She won't be allowed to use the internet except at home. I mean, what difference does that make? Like, Yeah, you can't look for stuff <laughs> you're not supposed to see when you're at home. Know. And the State Department of Corrections will monitor her online activity. Well, that's good. And she's going to be supervised with case managers until she's 37 years old. So. Why 37? Why is that a magic number? I think that was 25 years from the time oh, she so was convicted. Oh, so it's not that it's, she's 37. It's just the length of the punishment Yeah, is it was 25 this. years. Mm-hmm. And when it ends, when you're 37 years old, you can go right back to using your phone to research myths and legends. Sitting Hopefully. in your car outside the house. <laughs> Hopefully not just she on will be better. PC. <laughs> so uh, the judge is saying that other than her role in the stabbing, she has had a clean mental health history. If hey, you other will. than that attempted murder, I yeah. mean, she's been a pretty good girl, you know. Currently, Mrs. Wire, which is Anissa, is functioning very well at the Winnebago Mental Health Institute, citing doctors' reports from those who examined her. And she also obtained her high school degree while she was in this mental health place, and she plans to attend college. And she told the court she plans to live with her father and look for part-time work. I wonder who's going to hire her. Do they, do they live in the same neighborhood that they were know. in previously? I because I think if that was the case with us and this happened, I think I would relocate. Change <laughs> yeah. my name, grow a beard, yeah, shave yeah. it off. Well, she probably has to stay nearby so that they can monitor her, I would think. Well, that is a good point. Yeah. So um, they say that she's looking forward to moving on and living a productive life. And Lautner's family was not real happy with this, as you can imagine. I can imagine. 
Their family spokesperson said they're disappointed and they wish that she would have served a longer sentence. Yeah. But they have been mentally prepared for this day for a long time, he added. Mm. The Lautners are reasonably comfortable with the rules Wire must follow after her release, which include no contact with Lautner until 2039. Oh, then it's okay. (laughs) I know. Hopefully she'll never contact her again, but I don't think that um, Peyton wants to talk to them. I would imagine not. Even if she has a change of heart and tries to apologize someday, I think some things are just best left unsaid. Mm -hmm. I, however, say everything. I don't think about it before I say it. I just do it. And then I pay the consequences after the fact. (laughs) So back in September of 2020, Morgan's uh, team appealed to the Supreme Court to toss out her conviction in adult court. And this didn't, you know, go very well for her. They said, no, you got to stay. So she's still in the mental health facility. And her lawyer says that her fight is not over. This case is definitely one that the Wisconsin Supreme Court should decide. That's right, because she's clearly not a threat to anybody. (laughs) Yeah. So for the time being, she's still serving her sentence in a state mental facility and hopefully getting better and understanding what she's done. Oh, hopefully. I mean, I hope she gets rehabilitated because really the worst thing that came out of this is a girl's traumatized for life and has to carry scars. And that's awful. But what if they'd killed her? You know, that would have been way worse. Not making light of what happened to the girl. I'm sure it's awful and she has to deal with it every single day. But, you know, in the end. I wonder if she had died, what their punishment would have been. Would it have been, would it have been any worse? Because Slap I mean, on the wrist, probably. I mean, a mental health facility is not a great place they to be, but it's not They probably would have just put prison. them in a mental health facility for longer. Yeah. Is probably what would have happened. Not 40 years, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So this is not an isolated incident, uh, this Slender Man. Oh, no? No. It actually, there's been more cases since then. Yeah, and There was a story about an unidentified woman in Cincinnati, Ohio, who told a TV reporter that in June of 2014, her 13-year-old daughter had attacked her with a knife and had written a macabre fiction some involving Slender Man, who the mother said motivated the attack. Like she came in the house and the daughter was wearing like a mask over her face, like a white yeah. mask, like Slender Man, and just started stabbing her. That's messed up. I'm sure that wasn't from Scream, though. No, she said she found all kinds of Slender Man stuff. Oh. Did you remember Scream, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So also in September of 2014, a 14-year-old girl in Port Ritchie, Florida, allegedly set her family's house on fire while her mother and nine-year-old brother were inside. Police reported that the teenager had been reading online stories about Slenderman, as well as some other um, online legends. Manga. Yeah, there's manga too. At Sushi Akubo's Manga Soul Eater, to be exact. <laughs> So during the early 2015 epidemic of suicide attempts by young people ages 12 to 24 on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, Slender Man was cited as the influence. So, yeah, he's been uh, all over the place, even on the reservations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, this is a serious thing. And I saw a uh, Dateline or something on YouTube. It was one of those shows. And they actually went into a middle school and talked to some children and the parents were on the hallway, you know, listening. Yeah. And they all asked them, they asked them all about Slenderman, you know, do you know who it is? 
And, you know, where did you hear about an aunt? There was only one child in the room that didn't know how, who it was and wasn't familiar with it, but everyone else did. And the parents were like, flabbergasted because parents don't realize what their kids know. I mean, there's so much stuff that I and my kids know that Crystal has no idea. I know. I'm always like, what are y'all talking about? Has no idea. Because I don't like go on these She doesn't understand the meme. I don't understand memes. The memes. I'm a huge meme fan. I get memes, but I like- But you don't get dank memes. No. Some of those things go over my head. the memes. Now, you're not on the level where you're like minion memes. No, gosh, no. Those are like older- Ladies with the minion memes or the ones that I like to call the Tweety Bird memes. And they don't do these as much now, but it'd be like a picture of Tweety Bird, you know, from uh, uh, Tweety Bird and Sylvester. And he'll be standing there against a solid color background and he'll be looking angry and he'll be like, you may take my house, but the rock that I live on is Jesus Christ. And (laughs) it's like, what does that have to do with Tweety Bird? I mean, maybe that's a true statement. I don't know. But what's it got to do with Tweety Bird? Now, that's what I call uh, crazy old lady memes. And you don't have to be an old lady to like those. Yeah, but, but a lot of your memes can't be posted. That's the problem. My memes are just dis- <laughs> they're disturbing. disturbing. They're disturbing, but they're hilarious. <laughs> You'll love them. Uh, follow me on Facebook for more content. This has been my TED Talk. Thank you. So I think it's an important lesson, you know, that can be learned here that parents need to be vigilant and like go yes. through your kids' phones. You're paying for it. It's a good lesson. Their iPhone. I mean, they're going to trick you. They're going yeah. to go from one device to another. You know, they can even get on with their like kids are a lot smarter their than Nintendo you are. DS things, you know, all that stuff. They can access yeah. chat rooms and who knows what. So, you know. Just I, randomly go through their stuff as my recommendation. And you're what paying she's for saying, it. You have access to it. Yeah. You know, you do. You have access. And, and talk to them, ask them questions because engage them. Yes. Don't like come at them, but like let them know. Like if her parents could have talked to her, they could have explained well, there's and a maybe. There's a line between being a friend and a parent, and you can be your child's friend. But there is a point where you have to be their parent before you're their friend. And sometimes it's going to make you say and do things that are uncomfortable for your relationship. And, but you, I mean, that's your responsibility as a parent. It's hard, but you know. None of my kids have tried to kill anybody yet that I I know of. So So, like, you know, you find a bunch of Slenderman drawings in their room, you might want to have a discussion about it. So yeah, if you got young kids, stay on that stuff. Yeah. and, And I think this all circles back around when you look at it. That the creepypasta itself has sort of morphed into a moral kind of object lesson. Mm-hmm. Like you, you look at the legend and it's talking about how you need to uh, be wary of obeying your parents. You need to not go places you're not supposed to be, not necessarily the forest. It's an allegory, really. Yeah. But the thing is, it's sort of an object lesson. And it's, it's weird that they pick that particular story to attach and latch on to. And it turns out, hopefully, it comes around and they realize the lesson being that they should have been obeying their parents and the law. And Which just is do not kill. <laughs> and, you know, the Ten Commandments. I was like, thou shalt not murder. You know? So. So, Slenderman has inspired, you know, art and books and all kinds of things. And there was a documentary called Beware the Slenderman. And it's on HBO and... It actually has the families of Morgan and Anissa. Have you watched this? 
I have not watched the whole thing, but you think we should do, watch it? I intend to finish watching it. Is yes. that got some of those interviews in it? Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yeah. Check it's it out. made to like help parents see warning signs and, you know, which is a very to, useful thing. Yeah. That's why they agreed to do the documentary because the they felt like if they could help other parents recognize these signs in their children, then, uh, you know, it would be worth doing. So yeah, I recommend beware the slender man on HBO. All right. There's a link for it up here. Hopefully if there's not, then it's Crystal's fault because (laughs) I'm letting her do that very specific one. All right. Thank you so much for your exhaustive work on this. I'm not kidding when I say she spent There's really way more we could have talked about. Like it's just, I had to. I saw she actually skipped over quite a bit of her script. Yeah, I had to cut it down. Our normal episode has between six and eight pages and we ad lib. I ad lib a lot of it. Crystal does too. This particular episode, let's see. At 28 pages. Yeah. And she cut a lot of that out. Yeah, it was just so much information. Yeah. So if you guys like the longer length of episodes or more in depth, if you could, you know, let us know in some way, give us feedback. We really want feedback from our listeners and viewers now that we're video as well. Please, you can email us at scarysavannahandbeyond at gmail.com. You can message us through Facebook. You can message us through Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. You can message us through Instagram, or you can give us a call. And like I said, that phone number goes directly to voicemail, so you don't have to worry about talking to anybody, and you can just leave us a voicemail. And if you don't want us to play it on the air, just tell us on the voicemail, and I'll make sure we do not do that. If you want to play it on the air, just let us know on the voicemail. Um, I'll edit that part out so that you don't sound like, hey, play me on the air. <laughs> but uh, we would love to hear from you about what you think about our new format, what you think about the video, what you think about the episode length. So that's going to bring us to our new segment that we just started on the last episode called What We're Watching. We need some little cool like music intro or something. Oh, you mean like this? (laughs) Okay. So this week on our What We're Watching, we're going to discuss one of the new most, well, it's not new. It was actually released in 2013, but it's new to us. So. Shutter came through once again. Yeah, I with found an amazing this amazing horror movie. She found it and she did a great job. This movie had everything. It did have everything. It was found footage. It was found footage. It was 80s. It was commercials. Yeah, if you're a Gen Xer, you will love this movie. It's, 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 it's so amazing. It's everything from our childhood, but better. Yes, and it's exactly how you remember it. Yes. If you or our age. And by <laughs> our 40. age, I mean my age, and she's like in her early 20s. I so, wish. Yeah. So this week's movie was called the WNUF Halloween Special. And as I mentioned earlier, it came out in 2013. We just discovered it and watched it, and we found it on Shutter. Check out Shutter, it's a great app. So this movie is basically a found footage type movie. And it looks like the entire movie is filmed in such a way that you had found a VHS cassette and stuck it in a VCR and you're watching the movie complete with a little bit of a shaky screen. The colors are correct. You got the little squiggly lines on the side. But what it tries to mimic is there is a Halloween special on some local news network and their local field reporter has apparently pulled the short straw, I guess, or whatever. (laughs) And there's this house in the neighborhood that is supposedly had a 
a murder, a, a murder the, the kid had murdered his parents yeah. at the house. And it was reportedly extremely haunted. So the whole point of the Halloween special was they were having their field reporter take a couple of paranormal investigators <laughs> with him to go inside this house. And they're building up through it. But it starts off on a news channel where it's having two news anchors talking back and forth. And then they keep jumping. It says right after this break. And the coolest thing is at every few minutes, it jumps into these commercial breaks. But these commercials are made up 80s-ish commercials. And they're all spot on for what the 80s was. Yes. And it's so funny in a way that it's, you know, it's like a tongue-in-cheek kind of humor with some yeah. of the stuff that it says at the end of each commercial. You, you really have to watch it. But the funniest part is, is like they're standing outside this mansion the whole time. <laughs> and this, this reporter has a voice sort of like mine. You know, it's a deep voice. And he keeps saying, all right, well, in a minute, we're going to head into the mansion. Yeah, he keeps on doing that. Right after these messages. I was like, they're never going inside. Yeah. And then it would keep going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And it's all lighthearted. It's all funny until the end. Yeah, eventually it turns horror. Because I'm like, no, we're not going to tell you what happens. But I was like, is this a horror movie or what? And then it came through. Yeah, at the end, you got your horror fix. Yeah, it came through. So you could pretty much, you know, watch this movie, you know, with no issues if you don't like graphic violence yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it's not graphic. And even when the horror turns on at the end, it's still not yeah, it's overly not that bad. It's graphic. Not bad. So I don't know if you're like me. I don't love slasher movies. I like movies that are literally just about like Saul. murder. <laughs> yeah, like Saul. Uh, I wouldn't be a fan of uh, movies like uh, I didn't love Friday the 13th, you know? No. And I'm not saying you can't like it. It just didn't do anything for me. It made me feel dirty when I watch it. <laughs> I like these more uh, psychological kind of horror movies yeah. and stuff. You know, I'm like that. It was great. And I just found out on Twitter because I tweeted about it. Somebody said that the guy who made it is actually making a sequel. And supposedly it's supposed to come out this year. I know. And We're going to buy the VHS copy I, of it. Yeah, because he says in his <laughs> in his interview, he's uh, like on The Verge or something. I don't know, some magazine. And he's like, he, he did a crowdfund type. Uh, project yeah. to raise money and he said I don't care how much money I raise I'm making the movie he <laughs> says if I raise 20 bucks we're, like just, you. we're just decreasing the scope of the movie <laughs> and he says if we got people backing it up he says well, when, when we make it I'll send it out to you on DVD or VHS cassette or Betamax or whatever <laughs> it is we film it in that's how I'm going to send it to you so after watching this movie I can say it gives you that nostalgic feel of an old 80s Halloween special mm -hmm. if you're like our age and watch these when you're a kid like the Garfield Halloween special the Charlie Brown special obviously it's a completely different genre but it has that that feel of something that would come on right around the holidays yeah. and it's something that I just, it's, it was just good all the way around and um we know in our scale that we used to Judge movies, dog treats. dog treats from one to 12. I'm going to let you go ahead and give your rating on it. I'd give it from one to 12. That's our okay, I'll give know, it a nine. randomly chosen scale. Okay, I'll give it a nine. Okay. Why not? Well, because I really enjoyed it, but I found it long. I, th I think it was long because okay. they repeated some of the commercials. A few of them. You know, yeah, they did. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. It took a little while to get to the point. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 10 out of 12 because I really enjoyed the nostalgia from it. Yeah, I did enjoy uh, that. The, when the horror portion comes in, it's uh, pretty well done. And 
where it ends up. You start <laughs> feeling it as time goes on. You're like, okay, they finally got in the house. Yeah. Well, it don't, it goes quickly after that. It it just flies off the rails at that yeah. point. You know, it actually gets a lot darker than I thought it would get. Mm-hmm. But it uh, it's a great horror movie. If you're in uh, B type movies which we are, mm-hmm. make sure to check it out. That is the WNUF Halloween special. And you can find it in other places, but we found it on Shutter. So on this week's episode of Layla and Coffee Talk, Crystal's going to tell you about what these beasts have done. Well, earlier today we came in and Layla was naked. She had no collar on. And you know that's sure signs <laughs> of a tussle. Yes, like whenever they play fight, um, coffee always wins by taking Layla's collar off and leaving it in the yard. So, yeah, it's always filthy. Yeah, and it happened to like rain for like three minutes today. Did you notice that? I did not. I was too busy looking at spreadsheets. <laughs> well, it did. And her collar is surely out in the mud and I'm going to have to go get it and wash it. It's going to be a whole thing. That's how coffee celebrates her victories, her vanquished foe, her sister. Yeah, she always takes off Layla's collar. She rips the collar off, tosses it to the ground and gloats over it. And then she runs and finds us because 95% of the time we're probably near food in her mind. <laughs> and coffee this week while we were staying at the Forsyth Park Inn, uh, Ethan, our son, came and stayed with the dogs and when he left the next morning, apparently Coffee got kind of nervous. As she anxious. does with her separation anxiety. Yes. So she found a New Year's tiara that I've had since 2017 when we celebrated with our new friends on Tybee. Yes. And she destroyed it. What a great dog. I know. I've had that thing for a few so years So the week now. before, she destroyed my hat yep. and she destroyed the tiara. Yep. And I feel like one day I'm going to walk in and one of my guitars is going to be chewed up. And then that's the day that coffee's <laughs> going to have to reevaluate the nature of our relationship. So, yeah, she's a good girl. Occasionally. <laughs> we still love her, though. We love them both. Still waiting on the DNA results for Layla. And yeah. I've got to order one. I've already coffee. told you what she is. So, well, we'll keep you updated. We will keep you updated. So, if you want to find us online, you can go to www.scarysavannahandbeyond.com or www.scarysavannah.net. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, my preference, Twitter, TikTok, or LinkedIn if you look up the username at Scary Savannah. Please, if you're listening to this as an audio podcast, know that there is a video version of this and we have posted it on our YouTube page. And we would love for you to go check that out and see Crystal's beautiful face (laughs) and look at me drinking a LaCroix. Yeah. And then subscribe and like our videos and share it. We're just trying to get it out there. We think it brings another dimension to the stories we're telling because we can give you more visual media. But you can get to our YouTube page if you go to our website and click on the YouTube link. You can subscribe there. Uh, As soon as we have enough followers, I'm going to name the page and then you'll be able to go right to it. Also, you don't even really, do you have to have an account to do it? Because I don't think I have a YouTube account. To subscribe. To subscribe. I think you can just push subscribe. I'm pretty sure you have to have an account. In order I didn't know I had one. Someone made one for me. Did you make one? You probably logged in as us. Is no, that why me. there's so much murder videos in our <laughs> YouTube playlist? I don't know. Probably will make sense now. So you can also give us a call at 
406-2899. That's 912-406-2899. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text message. Give us updates. Let us know what's going on. Let us know if we got something wrong. We'll correct it on air. We have no shame. Well, I have no shame. She has a little shame, but I have no shame. You can also support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. If you go to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah and at higher tiers, you can get merchandise such as shirts, stickers, and coffee mugs. I found your hoodie, by the way. Sweet. I should have been wearing it on our video instead. Instead, I'm repping this right here. Got your Star Wars up in here. (laughs) I give you a father. So, anyways, I believe that's just going to leave the one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on. Yes, they do. (laughs) It's my camera. (laughs) 